Blog Talk Radio. Another day, another chance. Good morning, everyone. It's time for another Riding the Wave podcast. I'm Mark Healy, the managing editor of the Wave newspaper, Rockaway's newspaper since 1893, and joining us today, uh, he's running for uh, state senate, the Republican candidate. Uh, he's going to be facing Joe Adabo, state senator Joe Adabo, uh, who's running for re-election. Re- uh, Mr. Thomas Sullivan, welcome to the program. Good morning, Mark. How are you today? I'm great. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, you know, we covered your we covered your press conference, and you know we wanted to make sure that people knew that there was an election. We wanted to we wanted people to know that there was going to be a choice in this election coming up. Um, so let's let's begin by introducing you uh, again uh, to our readership. This way, um, you know, people have a really clear idea of the choice that they're going to have before them. Um, now, give us a little bit about your background. Now, you live in Breezy Point, yes. Yes, um, I'm a fourth generation uh, that lives in Breezy Point, going back uh, close to 93 years. Uh, obviously in the summers, uh, like many, and then uh, we settled down there permanently in 1980. I became a homeowner myself in 2004, and uh, 2002, sorry, and um, you know, I'm raising my uh, three kids, and married for 19 years, and we're enjoying the beach. It's important, I think, for a lot of people, um, you know, especially given the challenges uh, after Sandy and the rebuild of the boardwalk and so many disconnects with the city, uh, you know, and, and people feel, and I know this isn't how it works, but I know the perception is, is that the state kind of tells the city what to do, you know, that, that the city really works for the state. Um, I know that's not the case, but I do know that when there is strong leadership in the Senate, uh, when when people feel that someone in Rockaway is is speaking up for them, but understands what's at stake, um, are those the kinds of things that made you decide to run? Uh, no, I, you know I've been interested for many years. Uh, I've been involved in my community, and I've been serving my country for 25 years, and and uh, I was on my community board for for five years. Uh, so people have been asking me for years. Uh, it just was not the right time, and I've, I've always wanted to accrue the experience before getting involved in politics. And I do have that experience now, uh, 23 years in the financial, <coughs> excuse me, financial sector, 25 years in the military, and t- 10 years as a small business owner. So I, I can relate to a lot of people up and down this district, north to south, and 
I, I know what it's like uh, when you, 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 you specifically identified uh, Superstorm Sandy as, uh, as maybe perhaps an impetus as to why I got into, into the politics. Um, that kind of catapulted it a bit. I was uh, discouraged uh, at how slow uh, our government moved. Because in, in a disaster like this, it truly is our government that has both the financial resources and the manpower. So uh, when it comes to natural disasters, uh, you can't sit around and the bureaucratic mess. You have to be able to uh, take what we call uh, a whole government approach, and that's government working with the community, working with the civilian uh, industry uh, together, not independently. So what I've seen going on is a lot of finger pointing, nothing getting done, and the people suffer. Now, you talked about your military career, the Army, yes? Yes, yeah, 25 years. Um, my brother was also, also served. He was in the National Guard for many years. Um, and I think when you talk about the Army and talk about the military and talk about uh, having experience uh, living, at, living you know, in, a, in, a, in a beach community, um, obviously, you know all about the Rockaway Re Reformulation Plan, the Army Corps, the resiliency uh, efforts. Given your military background and given your ability to communicate at that level, do you think that if you're elected, that you'd be able to communicate on a on a higher level, uh, perhaps, and be able to uh, facilitate more some of the concerns that people have about? how slow and how long this whole study is, is being, you know, is taking to create resiliency for the beaches that are almost gone. Uh, absolutely. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, we, we often take a whole government approach, and it's uh, both my experience in the civilian sector and with the Army Reserves. Uh, you have to, when you get to a level where I've been as a colonel in the, in the Army, uh, we're working with the State Department. We're working with the um, other agencies, uh, depending on the, the, the situation. And in this case, it's the Army Corps of Engineers. And I hear a lot of people screaming, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers has to do this, do this. They'll do it. We have what we call the capability, right? That's why you tap in, and that's why the government has retained that capability, because not too many people are in the jetty building business, and not too many people have the funding for that. So what I'm against is uh, dumping sand, for $15 million over the course of a couple of years and having Mother Nature remove it for absolutely free. Um, you're throwing good after bad. That is completely frustrating. Um, I consider myself an environmentalist um, in many ways, uh, in both practice and speech. Uh, I understand these, these studies have been done. Uh, money has been already spent on this, and we keep coming down to the same thing. The jetties. Will there be an impact? Of course there is. There's always a second and third order effect. But, you know, uh, that jetty out in Breezy Point was put there in the early 1900s to keep the, the harbor from closing. And Breezy Point keeps getting bigger and bigger, right? That, that I should say the, the uh, National Park Service piece of it keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's all because of the jetty. Uh, it serves a very important purpose. Um, would Superstorm Sandy, would it, would it have helped the surge? Maybe not, but it would, have, it would have broken down the wave action, right? That caused a lot of the, the volatility, the velocity. Um, so this, this peninsula, it's time. Uh, surveys are done. Uh, action is now. 
I uh, I spent uh, quite a few summers in Breezy when I was a kid. Uh, I was a Brooklyn kid, and Rockaway was my beach. And uh, you know, my dad, my dad actually grew up in the St. John home for boys. You know, so my Rockaway roots uh, aren't as deep as maybe some other people, but you know, certainly uh, it's something for me that I understand. Uh, and, and of course, being the editor of the paper here now for four years, um, I get it. You know, I get. Uh, People want sand in their shoes. They want someone representing them that understands, uh, you know, what it's like to have gone through something like Sandy. Uh, they want someone who understands what it's like to not be able to get a parking spot. You know, um, they want somebody who understands that uh, for Rockaway as a beach community, it's, you know, when you go to other beach communities uh, in, in, in the whole country, uh, they don't have the challenges that we have because of past decisions and, and decisions now that are being made. Uh, I know that people are always looking for, like when, I, when, when something happens, for instance, uh, we get a decision from the city that they're going to put it in a homeless shelter or uh, they're going to um, build high-density buildings uh, like they're doing in downtown Far Rockaway. Um, and you know, there's going to be 3,000 units and they're only going to have 99 parking spots, um, you know, and they make these decisions are clearly with an agenda that, you know, they don't want people to, you know, they want people to reduce the carbon footprint and they don't want to have all these cars. But the fact of the matter is, is that until sunshine and rainbows, and I said this yesterday, so sorry if I'm being repetitive, but until sunshine and rainbows power vehicles, people want the freedom of being able to drive and being able to you know, get around, you know, without having to rely on a crumbling infrastructure, you know, a public transportation infrastructure. So given your background as, a, as, a, as an officer, you know, uh, you know, supplies have to get through, you know, um, uh, people have to know where they're going, you know, the, the equipment has to be reliable. Do you feel that that background as well as your, you know, experience as a small business owner and understanding how financing financing works, uh, do you feel that you'd be able to be a leader uh, in trying to improve all of that, all of those aspects that I just talked about? Yes, so you did. You brought up quite a bit there. Um, and the answer is uh, undoubtedly yes. Uh, I am not a career politician. Um, I knew many years ago I, I, I like our political system. I studied our political system, but I knew uh, my, my approach was gain the experience in the civilian capacity, in the military capacity, as I mentioned, the small business owner. I can relate and I understand and appreciate these issues that you just mentioned. So here in the South, um, you know, they, you mentioned the high-density uh, buildings. Well, show me the plan to educate. Show me the plan to employ. Show me the plan to transport. Uh, show me all those logistics pieces of where these 3,000 people are going to work, park, um, go to school, uh, and, and then, and then that, that you know, you need to know what the plan is. You can't just arbitrarily throw in a building. And, and this is a similar issue of uh, a discussion I had up north in the middle village, Glendale area. Um, we're, we're replacing single-family homes on streets that you can barely get one car past. Uh, they want to put three-family homes in there, and the same issues exist. 
You know, you're overcrowding the neighborhood. It took me 48 minutes to go 1.8 miles from the Long Island Expressway uh, down to uh, uh, Juniper Park, essentially. Right. A little bit more, past Juniper Park. And, uh, you know, is that what we want for this neighborhood? There's only a few ways to get on and off this peninsula. Right. And uh, I, I was at Fort Dix, New Jersey this weekend, and I was watching my uh, WhatsApp chat going on among the friends, and everybody was talking about how it took over an hour and 40 minutes to get from uh, Gerritsen Beach, Brooklyn, uh, to where they were going in, in, on the peninsula in, in, in Rockaway, Bell Harbor. So I, I get it. That's uh, the weekend, the summer weekend, but you, you start adding that population base to uh, an already crowded peninsula, you have these other challenges. And, uh, you know, I drive a Prius, so I mentioned I am an environmental. <laughs> I drive a small compact car. It is fuel efficient, but it still takes up space. You know, it, it's great that you say that. You talk about that because, um, you know, the, um, the frustrations of, you know, one of the things I get very about um, I talk about you know the city's disconnect when it comes to Rockaway you know they, they always seem to make these decisions and then and then they don't get when they come here and they do their dog and pony show and they take their bows uh, for stuff that a they were supposed to do uh, or B there will no thought like for instance now the wave have well documented the the boardwalk rebuild, and it's beautiful. You know, I drive my I ride my bike on it every day. I absolutely love it. Uh, it's beautiful. You you know, especially when you go down and you see some of the beaches and you see uh, the kind of uh, you know just the community kind of coming together from east to west all across the boardwalk. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's very spiritual when I ride my bike. I get very excited about it. But then, you know. You have this half a billion dollar boardwalk that the taxpayers paid for. The city didn't pay for it. Taxpayers, you know, that's federal tax money that was allocated to, you know, to the city to pay for, you know, the rebuild. So when they come here and they take a bow, but then they close the beaches four days before Memorial Day in the middle of, of – you know the entranceway, Beach 94th, Beach 95th Street, and they they close those beaches from Beach, uh, you know, 91st to 102nd. And then on top of that, it's four days before Memorial Day, so all the planning has been done. Uh, and, and you know, as a small business owner, you you there's no turning back. You know, you have to say, okay, I'm going to lose 80 percent of my business uh, because things happen, right? But this was a decision that was made by the city. And, of course, you know, we don't know who made the decision, whether it was the Parks Department, who's clueless, uh, or the lifeguards who seem to have uh, so much sway. Uh, I mean, I was, I, was, I was told that in the 70s there was a similar situation where there was beach erosion, and, you know, they just put the, they put the lifeguard chairs on the boardwalk and people did their jobs that way or whatever. They made it work. Just this seems to me that um, there's such a disconnect between the city and, and what happens here on the peninsula. And I think people really want someone who can kind of, you know, kind of just 
weighed in and say, hey, hold on a second. You know, it, it's not just about, we get it, there's a safety issue, but this is unacceptable and cannot stand. Right. So, again, you, you brought up quite a bit, uh, a lot of great points, uh, and I'll give you a couple examples. Um, you know, we throw the word out there, communication. You, you, you cannot over-communicate, right? There's, there's no such thing. You have to be able to get the word out there. Um, they either chose not to communicate because, admittedly, all our local officials basically said we were unaware of this, uh, rightfully so, or they might have had an opportunity to, to object and uh, find out why, um, or there's an agenda there, which is, you know, deceit, and uh, this mayor in particular, I, you know, what, what is your agenda? Tell us what your agenda is, because you are divisive. Your policies are divisive, uh, not bringing people together. And, you know, uh, it's not just this generation, but people want to know why, and sometimes they have a right to know why. And when you explain that piece of, of, the, of the puzzle, uh, people will say, okay, now I understand it. Now, now I know it's not permanent. Now I know it's just for a couple of days, but no, it, it just right away, it threw cast a doubt, it, it causes concern on your leadership, but like, what are you doing for us? So um, I'm willing to communicate, and I know how important it is, and it, if elected, um, I, I will make sure that people will feel that I'm approachable, and they're going to know uh, that I'm coming, so they're gonna, I'm not going to sleep on it. Uh, so I will be active. And I'm going to give you an example. So you talked about those small businesses. How would you take a, a, a nice loan out on a small business? There's a, uh, a restaurant down in, uh, in Bell Harbor, multi-generational, right? This, our taxpayers through hundreds of millions of dollars, okay? That restaurant is still closed, okay? They're, they're suffering financially. It's causing, you know, family issues. And they're not serving the community that they've been serving for for, for decades. And, and here's the crazy part that I, I can't believe I have to say it, but every month that business is closed, the government loses $7,000, $8,000 in sales tax revenue that we daily need. So why is that business not open? Okay, why is several of the other businesses not open? These beaches closed, you're just making it harder on the business owner. So you've got to get the business owner that generates the sales tax, and if somebody's willing to buy something and pay for it, uh, at least they're getting something for it, as opposed to just upping tax, property taxes and, and their income tax. And that's just one example. Right. No, it's a great example. It's a great point. You know, I didn't even think of that. You know, I, I think of it just from the business owner standpoint, you know, that, that it just doesn't seem that this, this administration – uh, and again, I know you're running for state office, but I, I don't get that same. It, it's kind of all like they, there's so much infighting between you know the governor and and you know and, and the city, uh, you know. And you would think that being from the city, uh, he would get you know that fighting with the mayor is not the way to get things done. And when we have to sit around and wait for you to you know play these games, you know people are suffering every single day. You know, whether it's the small business owner, whether it's uh, the people that are waiting for resiliency, whether it's the people that are trying to, to, to determine whether or not to move into this community. But if, if the plan is to build 90 homeless shelters, 
you know that Rockaway's, I mean, Rockaway's getting one on Loretta Road down in Far Rockaway. Uh, they're getting another one, so now we have two. Uh, we don't have, you know, we have thousands of, of Section 8, you know, units. We have nursing homes. We've got, you know, Rockaway is doing more than its fair share uh, when it comes to, um, you know, helping, helping those who cannot help themselves. At some point, there has to be, you know, uh, I think a philosophical change in how the leadership here deals with the city. And instead of not wanting to cross a party line, instead of not wanting to um, upset one demographic or another, uh, people want someone who can roll up their sleeves and get down and sit down and say, guys, we have to solve this problem. It doesn't matter whether you're a Republican. It doesn't matter That's whether correct. you're a Democrat. Right? I mean, is that something no, that you feel I, that you could I, do? Absolutely. So let, let's talk statewide. Um, you know, because of the governor's differences with the, the mayor and whatever games they're playing, everybody else is, uh, is impacted, right, because of their agendas. Um, New York State ranks 45th in, in place in, for small businesses. Uh, it, it's... They don't, you don't want to hear because you're taxed to death, and the regulatory environment. Why would you want to? Why, why would you want to operate a business here? And the answer is clear: they, they, they don't. It, it's a hard place to do business. And you know, he wants to have this free education program. It already exists. And then you're going to pin somebody here for five years. What, what job are you going to give them? And, and how do you propose to, to keep somebody in New York against their will if they want to go find a job in Nashville? So that's the, that's the state issue. So become business friendly, make it a destination place, as opposed to you know people escaping. Uh, which brings me to another point: we're we're a state that's we're a net loss. We've been losing part of our population. And by the way, it's the educated piece, it's the experienced piece that we're losing. And uh, I'm I'm a very compassionate person, and and we have to take care of the homeless people, right? Putting them, putting them in a hotel room where they're away from their families and spreading them out in, in environments that they're not familiar with, uh, they don't have a family member to help them along, or the services in, within that, that area, that's not compassionate. It's not economically sound. And again, you've just disrupted the neighborhood, and everybody is asking why, and they're asking how. And it's not being explained. Uh, so that's what creates frustration. I come from an industry, the military, where we hold, uh, as a profession, we hold among the highest trust in the nation, the highest trust in the nation. And there's a reason for that. We are impartial. Politics don't get involved in that. And I, I get it. Once you're, once you're, uh, you know, you're running for office, you got to be able to uh, put your point of views across. But when it's all said and done, it's time to get things done for the good of the people. All right, now I'm going to ask you a tough question um, because I think that the political climate that we are in, uh, it's hard for any Republican to distance themselves, align themselves, take the chance to talk about President Trump um, because uh, – you know the the opposition. You know the Democrats and the other parties, the more progressive, uh, you know, elements of of different parts of of the Democratic Party, uh, will always try to um, 
make make an election. And I'm, look, I'm, I'm just because this is the truth. This is what happened with uh, Maliotakis when she ran. Uh, even though she was Rubio's campaign uh, person here in New York, uh, they linked her with Trump. Um, you know, and, and, and the whole election became about Trump. Um, and you know, unfortunately, you know that's what's going to happen. Uh, how do you? How are you going to view that? How are you going to deal with that? Uh, especially when uh, you know there's been such an uptick in that kind of rhetoric uh, that is you know between you know outside of Councilman Eric Ulrich, there's not a lot of Republicans you know that are representing uh, you know the peninsula. Right. Well, it, it, it's it's about respect. You have to respect each other. Um, and respect each other's opinions regardless, right? This is America, and this is one of the greatest things about our place is that we all get to share an opinion. Um, when that gets out of line, uh, communications, uh, civil discourse break down, and again, nothing gets done, okay? I'm way beyond that. I, I'm going to pat myself on the back here. I'm way past that, that, that nonsense. Uh, projects got to get done. The, our constituents have to be served, both Republican and Democrats and independents and, and so forth. Everybody's opinion matters and everybody has their concerns, has to be given equal consideration. Um, once you pass the, the, the election craziness, uh, you're there to serve. Um, so the ability to communicate and, and you know, uh, I don't know when compromise became a, such a dirty word, right? It doesn't mean compromising your morals, your principles, your ethics. Um, you know, sometimes it's a matter of economics, okay? I, I can't give you the whole amount, but I can give you this. Um, so our leadership has failed us, uh, especially here. In the, you know, I'm running for state office. They're either silent or they're fighting with each other, and they're, they're forgetting about the rest of us. I'm not that career politician. I'm here for an infinite amount of time to do, my, do further service for my local community and to get specific things done uh, for everybody in this, in this district. One last thing, and I really want, I appreciate, I know you're a busy guy, and I know that uh, you have a full day and you've got a full schedule ahead of you, so I really appreciate you spending the time with me today. Um, but one last thing, and I think it's probably the most important question um, that you'll face during the course of your campaign. And that is, is that Joe Adabo, uh, I'll be honest, I like Joe. You know, uh, I, I've had many discussions with Joe. I know I can, Joe's one of those guys that I can, I can call up and say, what do you think about this or what do you think about that? Uh, and that's important. Accessibility is important. Um, but what's, you know, what's really important, too, is that people need to know why you're a better candidate. People need to know... Um, how you plan on, on, you know, defeating someone because of the name recognition, because of the, uh, you know, the fact that his dad was, you know, so powerful for so long, that the name recognition is there. What makes you a better candidate um, than Joe Adabo, and how do you plan on running your campaign? So the quick answer is, again, um, I'm not that career politician. I'm coming in here to serve the people in the community for an infinite amount of time. This job takes a tremendous amount of uh, uh, energy, and uh, we, we have this thing in the military. You're only in command for two, and in some cases, three years, and there's a reason. It's exhausting, and, and then you start, to feel, you start to exempt yourself from what everybody else has to do. You become too powerful, 
So the military recognized that 240 plus years ago, and uh, you're not in charge, but for that two or three year period. Uh, I'm four term limits, and um, I hope to change that one. That's one of my things on my agenda, is to, to change, the, you know, implement term limits. Uh, so I think uh, they've done their service, absolutely, okay? And I have no harsh words for Joe, and I've said that before, and that is pretty consistent. He's a nice guy, uh, but what's pretty consistent, too, is that things aren't getting done. And uh, I, I think he's run out of energy. So I'm looking to bring in that new energy. Uh, and I've already warned my party, if I'm fortunate enough to, to win and do this, uh, I'm not around forever unless I uh, move on to bigger and better things and, and get promoted, right? So uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, it, it, it's it's... It's about getting things done at the end of the day. Thanks again. That was uh, Thomas Sullivan. He's running for state senate against Joe Adabo, and uh, that's been riding the wave. Have a, have a great one, folks, and we'll uh, see you on Friday when you get the paper. And uh, always, uh, always a pleasure uh, to do the show, and thanks again for coming in, Tom. No, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.